What's up, everybody? Welcome to Access. So excited to have you here tonight, February 22. Anybody get outside today? Anybody? Oh, man. Let's hope the spring weather is staying. Come on. Guys, I, I ran twice this week. That doesn't happen for me, you know? It's just like, no, good weather. I guess I'm just feeling good, you know? But welcome to Access. This is the Young Adults Community of Resurrection Life Church. We are honored to have you with us here. Access exists to equip and mobilize young adults in identity, evangelism, community, and the scriptures. We are a group of people who are in love with Jesus. We love his person, we love his presence, and he has changed all of our lives. I'm so honored to have you here with us tonight. We're gonna jump right in tonight. As some of you know that we're in a year-long initiative throughout the whole uh, year of 2024, centering in on our identity in Christ. So the initiative that we're in is called the His Initiative, and it's based on Psalms 100 verse 3. It says, know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And before we do anything for God, we must understand that we belong to God. We are His. And so we believe that as we behold the Father, in times of worship, in his word, in times of prayer, as we behold him, we find our deepest sense of belonging in him. And as we belong in him, then we actually become like him. We behold, belong, and become. Yes? So one, ways that, one of the ways that we can secure ourselves and God's identity over our life and our identity in Christ is actually by proclaiming what he says about us out of our mouth. When God's word comes out of our mouth, it carries power to shape our identity. And so we're, we, this whole month, we, we've been centering in on a verse, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. I gave a challenge at the beginning of the month to memorize that verse. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Yes? So we have a declaration that we're actually gonna make as a community based on that verse. So if everyone would stand with me, for some of you, maybe this is your first time. This might seem a little bit weird, but this is actually a common practice that Christians for years and centuries have been doing is proclaiming God's word out of our mouth. So I'm gonna say a line and you can repeat this line after me and we'll make our way through this whole declaration together. All right? I am a new creation in Christ. I am a new creation in Jesus is the Lord of my life. And I am in Christ. The old things in my life have passed away. I am not my past. I am not my mistakes. I am not my failures or successes. I am a new creation in Christ. Amen, amen. You can have your seat, amen. So, so good. Well, this whole month, we've been engaged in a series called Real Talk, discovering God's purpose and design for sex and sexuality. And it's been an amazing month. I have personally, just personally, candidly, I have received so much freedom this month through these series, through what God is revealing to us. And this month really has been a deep dive into our identity and who we are, who we're made in Christ kind of a, a, a verse that we've been kind of centering in and focusing on is out of Matthew 7, where it says, if a, a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit, and you, can't, you won't find a good fruit on a bad tree and you won't find bad fruit on a good tree, right? So you make the tree good and its fruit will be good, right? 
And so basically, what, what is it saying? Trees and fruit here, it's not talking about agriculture. Like we're not, a, you didn't come here for a, a lesson on horticulture from Pastor Jerry tonight. That's not it. We're, ta- we're talking about trees is basically an analogy for our life. And basically what he's saying is if you get the inside of who we are, what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves, if we get that right, then we're gonna see our actions and the, the fruit of our life actually be good. If we, if we address those things on the inside. And so we talked about God's purpose. Like what are the purposes for life, right? To bear the image of God. We talked about the purpose of marriage, right? We talked about pursuing oneness despite our differences and self-sacrificial love. And then from that context of marriage, we talked about the purpose of sex, right? To motivate that self-sacrificial oneness, right? For procreation. And then ultimately, and then lastly for pleasure. And so We've covered that. And then Pastor Nick last week, oh my word. Anybody was blessed by that word last week from Pastor Nick? Wow, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He talked about the anatomy of the stronghold and answering the question, like, why do I keep doing these things? Why do I like, maybe living this cyclical nature? I keep struggling with the same sin pattern. I keep getting caught in these same bad relationships. And it actually might be because the enemy has fed you a lie and you're actually living from that lie continually. And as long as we live from that lie, we're gonna get the same result of that lie, right? And so he drew out that whole um, diagram for us, the anatomy of the strong, that's so, so powerful. If you missed any one of those weeks, feel free to listen back on our podcast. We post all of our sermons on Thursday nights onto our podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, and wherever else you stream podcasts. So would encourage you, if that was blessed to you, listen to it again, or if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen. And so tonight I'm kind of wrapping up our Real Talk series and really I hope to bring a message just of redemption. And it really, the, the crux of my message tonight is kind of centering on this one phrase and it's that God can and wants to redeem every single area of your sexual history, every single part of our sexual history. Like there's nothing that God cannot or does not want to redeem He's good. And his power to make a situation right is a lot bigger than our power to mess it up. And we're gonna find that tonight through some stories. We're gonna look tonight specifically about the story of David. And maybe if you've been here for over a year, you may have heard this story and kind of gone through this thing before. And I would say, if you have listened to this or maybe even heard me teach this before, I would say lean in, buckle in, because I believe God wants to give fresh revelation to you tonight. But even if not, in, in Peter, when he's writing to the church, he says, it, I, I write the same things again. And it's actually not bad that I would write the same things to you again, because you need to be reminded of these things. And I think this story that God can and wants to redeem every single part of our sexual history is something that we continually needed to be reminded of because we slip and we fall. We make bad choices. We make different mistakes. We see different people in our life hurt us in different ways. And we need to be reminded. I hope that tonight we receive this comforting reminder that God is a big God and he wants to save, he wants to redeem every single part of our lives, including our sexual history. So I'm gonna talk about the story of David and then we're gonna talk about some ways that we can actually partner with God's redeeming work in our life and we will see where we go from there. But we're gonna land actually tonight in a time of ministry and I believe that God is gonna meet some of us in this room in really, really powerful in tangible ways. So we actually have some, um, some guests in the room tonight who have actually come in specifically to pray for us as a community. 
And so if you came into this room and you're like, man, I don't really know what's going on in my life or man, I feel like I need to get something off my chest. Literally tonight's your night. Like God, his, God's gonna move in your life tonight. And there's a team of people here that are specifically here for the sole reason of praying for you tonight. It's gonna be so, so amazing. So let's pray and then we'll jump right in. Father, we love you. God, we honor you. Holy Spirit, you are present in this room. We love you, God. We love you. We really do. God, we're so thankful for the price that you paid on the cross, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for setting an example for how we are to live your life, Jesus. Live our lives, Lord. Holy Spirit, I thank you, God. Jesus, I thank you, Father. You say in Romans 8 that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus set us free from the law of sin and death. And I thank you, Father, that every voice of condemnation right now, I command you to be silenced. I thank you, Lord, that every voice of shame is broken right now in Jesus' name. I thank you that the Holy Spirit, the one who leads us into conviction, leads us to Jesus, the one who comforts us, he is the one who rules and reigns in this place. And we give you the authority. We give you the authority tonight. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would take these words that come out of my mouth and you would transform them into revelation that changes our hearts tonight, God. We need you, Holy Spirit. We honor you, Father. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, so like like previously mentioned, we're going to jump into the story of David, and specifically one specific story. And this is commonly known or referred to as the story of David and Bathsheba. Okay, but we're going to take a little bit of a different twist on it. Um, Tonight's going to be a little bit different of a teaching. You're going to kind of want to address your attention a lot to the screen. We're going to do a little bit of like an analysis of some different scripture, all right? So before I go there tonight, uh, I want to kind of just tell the story of how like this was actually revealed to me in the scripture. It was actually pretty wild and so, so fun. It's kind of fun to kind of reflect on this, but I'm going to give some context before we go there. So we'll be in tonight, 1st and 2nd Samuel and specifically 2 Samuel, and then we'll be in 1 Chronicles as well. So 2 Samuel 11 and, 10, or 11 and 12, and then 1 Chronicles 20, okay? So what you need to know about these specific parts of scripture is a little bit of the timeline. So 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, they recount the story of Israel and Judah's kings, okay? So all of those, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, they all recount a storyline of Israel's history, the kings primarily focusing on the kings and how they ruled and reigned in specific stories that are surrounded around that time. And it ultimately culminates, these, these stories culminate in what are called the exiles. So there's an exile of Judah and an exile of Israel. Basically, the people of Israel had turned their hearts away from God And so God was sending them out of the land that he had promised them to be basically captives and led away into a nation that was not their own, right? So they kind of end and culminate in this story of the exile, right? So I 
in high school, I'm like trying to read through the entire Bible, right? And so I get to first and second Samuel and I'm like rocking with these. I'm like, yo, this is sick. David and Goliath. I'm like, imagining myself. I was probably about David's height at that time, you know? And I'm like, just slinging a stone. I'm like, yeah. And then I'm like, man, you know, yeah, that basketball team, they're all tall. They're my Goliath. I'm going to face them and beat them, you know, like different things like that. Just relating it to my life. I'm vibing. Then I get to Kings. I'm like, oh man, this is sweet. Like hearing about all these Kings. Some of them were really good. Some of them were really bad. I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn from their mistakes as bad kings. I'm going to learn from the good kings, like try to emulate them, right? So I'm like reading through and then I get to First Chronicles and in First, first Chronicles, it literally starts out with like the first chunk of scripture. The first chunk of chapters is all genealogies. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I'm like vibing, coming off a high year and I'm getting into First Chronicles. I'm like, what is this? so-and-so is the son of so-and-so and and this is all their family and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. I was like, Lord, I will do this out of obedience to you. (laughs) Like, this is crazy. And so it largely asked me, it led me to ask this question, why is the book of Chronicles even in the Bible? And I I go on to read Chronicles and I find out that the the same stories that I had just read, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, they are literally just repeated in First and Second Chronicles. And I was like, these stories were good. Like, that's awesome and amazing. But like, also like, got something new? You know, like, what, what is this? It's like, why is this repeated? And so I did some research. And basically what I found is that First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings were actually written around the time or before the exile to, for the exile to Babylon and the exile to Assyria. So all of those books, all of those books were written before the exile, but then First and Second Chronicles were written 107 years after, and they were written post-exile. And so basically what I was reading and from the research I did is that basically First and Second Chronicles exist in the Bible. It's basically God saying to his people, I have not forgotten about you. Like, yeah, you turned your heart away from me, And I had to send you out of my land, but I ultimately brought you back. And now that you're back, I want you to know that I remember, remember every single one of your names. Like, imagine that, like this genealogy, the genealogy that I was half sleeping through. Now, all of a sudden, it's like God is saying, I literally have not forgotten any one person that I, that I drove into that exile. And then he goes on to recount all of Israel's history and Judah's history in First and Second Chronicles. And what is God saying? He's saying, you had to be in exile for a period of time, but guess what? You're still my people. I'm still committed to you. And when I read that, I was like, God, please forgive me. I repent for not wanting to read First and Second Chronicles. Like, I see the beauty in it now, right? I see the beauty. But also the Holy Spirit kind of prompted me. He said, I, I wonder, this question kind of rose up in my heart. I wonder if there's any differences between the stories in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and the stories in Chronicles. And so what I started doing is I started reading through Chronicles, and then I would look for that same story in either First and Second Samuel or First and Second Kings. And I was looking for different discrepancies and seeing how that might be impacted by the exile and how that might tell me about God's love and God's character and all of these different things. And so that's kind of where we pick up here. And so I come to 1 Chronicles 20, verse 1, 
and I read in 1 Chronicles 20, verse 1, it happened in the spring of the year, at the time that kings go out to battle, that Job led out the armed forces and ravaged the country of the people of Ammon and came and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem and Job defeated Rabbah and overthrew it. So I read that in Chronicles and I'm like, all right, let's look. Where is this? Where is this in 1 and 2 Samuel? Where is this in 1 and 2 Kings? And I found that it was in 2 Samuel 11, verse one. And there it is, you can read it. Happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Job and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Does sound like the same thing, right? Everybody agree? Yeah? Okay, so then I'm like keeping on going. I'm like, all right, I'm comparing these two, reading them verse by verse. So we go, 2 Samuel 11, verse two, and 1 Chronicles 20, verse two. So it says, then David took one of their king's crown from his head and it found it to weigh a tail of gold and there were precious stones in it and it was set on David's head. And also he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. 2 Samuel 11, verse two, then it happened one evening that David rose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. You know, I'm not like a biblical scholar or anything, but those are different. <laughs> They're not the same. <laughs> and, you know, I'm like thinking to myself, I'm reading these differences. I'm like, okay, maybe it's just that one verse. And so we go to 2 Samuel verse 11, verse three. Let's see. Okay, what does it say there? So David sent and inquired about the woman and said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? First Chronicles 20, verse three. And he brought out the people who were in it and put them to works with saws and iron picks and with axes. So David did to all the, all the cities of the people of Ammon and David, all the people returned to Jerusalem. Again, I'm like, yeah, that, those are different. Yep. And you know, like I've heard being in college and in high school and different things like that. I've heard people mention like there's discrepancies in the Bible and you can't trust the Bible because of all these discrepancies. So I'm like this little high school kid and I'm like, oh no. Like, is what they said true? No, like, I'm the one that found it, all of these different things, right? And so after here, I keep reading in 2 Samuel 11, and I read through the whole story, and I know this story. This is the story, like I mentioned earlier, is commonly called this David and Bathsheba, the story of David and Bathsheba. So David, he sees that this is the wife of Uriah the Hittite, and actually what he does is he goes and sends for her, now, Uriah the Hittite was actually an army, or he was in David's army at the time and was out fighting in the battle that David was actually supposed to be at. So he, this, this, this woman, Bathsheba, his wife, is on the battle line. David sees this woman and actually he calls for her into his house and he sleeps with her and she actually gets pregnant by him. Now, if you're the king of Israel at the time, you're not only just a political leader, but you're actually also supposed to be the moral leader over the entire country. And now the person who is the political and moral leader of the entire country, he has just committed adultery. And the proof of his adultery is that his mistress is pregnant. He's got a big problem on his hands. And so rather than come to the Lord, ask for the Lord's direction, David actually tries to solve it on his own. And so he orders, he, remember Bathsheba's wife, is out to war. He orders the husband back and tries to get the husband to sleep with Bathsheba so that maybe it will be covered up and that everyone will think that it's actually his son. And so he's trying to get all, I can just, I don't know, I'm saying this out loud. I feel like I'm like, like a TV drama series right now. You know, like, I feel like I'm like telling you about a soap opera, you know, like, anyway. So he tries to get him to sleep 
Anyway, Uriah is such a man and he fears God and he loves the people that, he, that are literally in battle. So he refuses to sleep with his wife. He says, listen, my brothers, the people I'm fighting with, they are risking their lives. I can't just be here having a grand old time when my brothers are literally risking their necks, you know? And so he refuses to do so. And so he refuses. And since he refuses, David actually gives a command to Joab, the leader of his army. He says, make an attack on the people of Ammon, but have Uriah at the front line. And when you tell everyone to go, withdraw from Uriah so that he gets killed. And guess what? Joab enacts his order and Uriah actually dies. And so David, supposed to be, he's supposed to be this religious leader. He's supposed to be this political leader. Now he's committed adultery, gotten a woman pregnant who's not his wife. And he's now killed a man who was his mistress's husband. That is pretty bad. <laughs> Anybody agree? Like, whoa, that is, that's pretty wild, right? So David, I'm reading through that whole story. And actually David and Beth, Bathsheba, so David keeps going on. And actually his Bathsheba, her son, David and Bathsheba's son, they, he actually, okay, let me back up here. Okay, so David keeps living and he's actually pretty unrepentant about the things that he's done. He's thinking, okay, everything's all good. Like I got it all situated. Everything's all right. But then Nathan, the prophet, who was, who was a prophet in the time in the nation of Israel, he comes up and he actually confronts David and calls out his sin. And David prays something in 2 Samuel 12, verse three, and I don't think we have it up there, but he says, I have sinned, or maybe it's 12, verse 13, but he says, I have sinned. And he agreed with God about his sin. And he actually repented to Nathan. And so Bathsheba carries the son, uh, carries David's son, but actually the son ends up dying. And is not able to be brought forth into the earth. And David, while the son is like hanging on for life, he's like weeping, praying, fasting, asking that God would show mercy on his son, all of this different stuff, and his son dies. And so that's the whole story. So I'm reading through all of this story, and this is, I basically just summarized 2 Samuel 12. And so 2 Samuel 12, and then I'm coming to the end of 2 Samuel 12, and all of a sudden I read verse 30 through 31. And in verse 30 through 31, it says, then he took their king's crown from his head and its weight was a talent of gold with precious stones. And it was set on David's head and he also brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. And he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work with saws and iron picks and iron axes. And he made them to cross over to the brickworks. So he did to all the cities of the people of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. And as I'm reading this, at the end of 2 Samuel 12, I'm thinking to myself, wait, that sounds familiar. What the world? And so I flip back and I go to 1 Chronicles 20, verse 2, and I compare that to 2 Samuel 12, verse 30. And look, then he took their king's crown from his head. Its weight was a talent of gold with precious stones. And it was set on David's head. Also, he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. Then David took their king's crown from his head and found it to be a way a talent of gold. And there were precious stones in it. And it was set on David's head. Also, he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. They're the exact same verse. So then I read on again. We go to the next verse. 
2 Samuel 12, verse 31, and he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work with saws and iron picks and iron axes, made them to cross over the brickworks. So he did to all the cities and the people in Ammon, that David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. And he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work with saws and iron picks and axes. So David did to all the cities of the people of Ammon, that David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. That's 1 Chronicles 20, verse 3. So 2 Samuel 12, verse 30 and 31 are the exact same verses as 1 Chronicles 20, verse 2 through 3. So I'm thinking to myself, what is happening here? What is happening? So just to kind of drive this point home, I'm just going to show you up on the screen. This is 2 Samuel 11, verse 1, and then 12, verse 30 through 31. It says, it happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him. I just want to say, bear with me. I know I'm reading a lot of scripture. I'm kind of going through this, but we're getting somewhere, all right? and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon, besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Skip 2 Samuel 11, verse two and 12, verse 29. What is that? That is the entire story of David and Bathsheba. That's, the, that's his adultery. That's his killing of Uriah. That's his son that has died and passed away. That's the confrontation with Nathan. All of that is, happens within those, those verses that are in parentheses. And then, then he took the king's crown from his head. Its weight was a talent of gold with precious stones and it was set on David's head. He also brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. And he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work with saws and iron picks and iron axes. And he made them to cross over to the brickworks. So he did to all the cities of the people of Ammon and David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. So let's read the account in 2 Chronicles 20, all right? First Chronicles 20, sorry. First Chronicles 20, just to drive the point home here. It happened. I'm gonna memorize this first by the end of the night. I'm reading it so much. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that Joab led out the armed forces and ravaged the country of the people of Ammon and came and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem and Joab defeated Rabbah and overthrew it. Then David took their king's crown from his head, found it a way of tantal of gold and there were precious stones in it and it was set on David's head. And also he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance and he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work with saws, with iron picks and with axes. So David did to all the cities of the people of Ammon then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. So listen, in first, second Samuel, verse 11 through 12, we see the story of David and Bathsheba. And that happened all before the exile to Babylon, right? That happened all before. But when God is giving, when God is communicating his covenantal love to his people after the exile, when he's letting them know, you are my people, and I have not forgotten from you. You were apart from me for a time, but I have not rescinded on my covenant that I wanted to give to you. When he gave this, this new law to, the, to Ezra, who wrote Second Chronicles, when he gave it, when he gave it to Ezra, and Ezra, it did not include the whole story of David and Bathsheba. It's almost like God just took that section about David's sin and all of those things. And it's almost like he just cut that out and just threw it to the side and completely just missed it over the set over in, when it was written in first Chronicles. So I'm thinking to myself, like, why would this entire portion of scripture just completely be taken out? Like, why is David and Bathsheba not in second and first Chronicles? Why is that not in first Chronicles? And then the Lord lit up in my heart of scripture. And this is what it says in Psalms 51. In Psalms 51, what you need to know is this is the psalm that David wrote after he was confronted from his sin with David and Bathsheba. This is the psalm that he wrote 
at that exact same time. So just to give like a time fl- timeline of what's happening here, David's sins. So David's repentance. So 2 Samuel happens, right? He does the David and Bathsheba thing, kills Uriah. His son dies, gets confronted by Nathan the prophet. Then he pray, and then he writes Psalm 51 after that fact. And then after that fact, 1 Chronicles is written, okay? So the only thing that's, the thing that's different, the thing that is in between 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles is Psalm 51. Now catch this. Psalm 51, verse 1 and 9. Have mercy on me, O God, David is praying, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. God literally answered David's prayer from Psalm 51. In 2 Samuel 11 and 12, all of his sins were recorded. All of the the way that he had made mistakes, he messed up. And guess what? The sin that he committed, it was a sexual sin. It was crazy, like committing adultery and committing murder and and being confronted and his son all of those things, he prays, God, would you blot out my transgressions? And when God gives First Chronicles to Ezra and he's recounting the entire story of Israel's history, it is literally not in the account anymore. Why am I sharing this? I took you through this whole journey together because I believe that God can and wants to redeem every single part of your sexual history. And God is a God who saves and redeems everything. And not only that, but he blots it out. He forgets about it. He's not holding your sins against you anymore. And he literally gives us proof in the Bible, like through this story of David. He's saying, David prayed this prayer of repentance. God, plot out my transgressions. And guess what? God heard his plea. He heard his repentant heart and he literally did it. He literally blotted out all of his sins and all of his transgressions. And if God would do it for David and give a tangible representation in the Bible, then I believe that God would do it for you today. I believe that he would do it with us. And if, there, if, if adultery and, and murder and all of the things that David did in that story of Bathsheba, if that was not too much to overwhelm the grace of God, then I have a hard time believing that there's any situation in this room that God's grace cannot cover. God can and he wants to redeem every single part of our sexual history. However, the Bible... <laughs> was not the only book that David's sins were blotted out from. In Revelation 20, verse 12, it gives us a window into a picture of what is going to happen at the end of times. In in Revelation 20, it's a, a scene is kind of played out and described, which is frequently called the great white throne judgment, where all of the living and all the dead are gonna stand before God and be judged by how they live their life. And this is what it says in Revelation 20, verse 12. It says, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
and the dead were judged according to the, what they had done as recorded in the books. So in heaven, there is a book of life. And that book of life is a record of all of the people who have made Jesus the Lord of the life, who have accepted Jesus's sacrifice for their sins. In the book of life, that determines whether or not you go to heaven or you go to hell. It's not based on your works. It's not based on your own merit. It's simply, have I received Jesus's love and sacrifice for my sins? Have I made him the Lord and master of my life or am I still the Lord of my life? And if you have made Jesus the Lord of your life, your name gets written in that book of life. And when you stand before Jesus, they're gonna say, is, is Jared's name, is Bree's name, is Alex's name found in the book of life? And the answer to that question is gonna be yes or no. And we get to make that decision here on earth. But there's a second book that is mentioned here. And it, these books that he's talking about, and books were opened, right? The, the dead were judged according to the, the works they had done according to the books. These books are actually a count of all of the right and wrong things that we have done in our entire life. And these books don't determine your salvation. They don't determine whether you get into heaven, but they do play in a role and an impact in your reward and what you receive from Jesus on that day that you are judged. And so David, his works were completely blotted out from this book. But I believe that there was a book in heaven as well that had his sins blotted out. And I think today, God is inviting you and inviting us as a community to be honest before the Lord, to receive maybe for the first time his love and forgiveness, maybe for the 20th time his love and forgiveness, but maybe some of us tonight, we need to get honest about maybe the sins that we've hidden from a lot of people. And we need to come like David to a point where we agree with God about our sin. We can't justify it anymore. We can't say like, oh, this is just what every guy struggles with. We can't say, oh, but I love my girlfriend and we're in a committed relationship, so it's okay for us to have sex. I can't, I can't do those things anymore. We have to agree with God and God's word that says, what, what is sin and what is not. And we see kind of what David had kind of three steps that David had, had done when in his repentance. I believe that these three steps are things that God is leading us into as well tonight. David agreed with God about his sin, but he confessed and repented to somebody that he trusted. Nathan the prophet had come up and confronted him on all his sins and he confessed, he repented. And there's gonna be a moment tonight where you're, we all are gonna have that opportunity to go to some trusted people within Rest Life Church, some trusted leaders of the faith and to get honest with people about, this is what I've been struggling. These are the thoughts that I've been thinking. I don't know how to break free, but this is an addiction that I'm in, right? And I just wanna say, this is not a, con a message of condemnation. I'm not saying all of these things so that you, you could feel bad about the things you're doing. No, I'm saying all these things to expose the enemy's work in our life and that we might receive freedom in this place. My voice is not a voice of condemnation saying you better do better. <laughs> this is a voice of love and correction, which is saying Jesus has a different way that you can live your life and it's a freer way. It's a way that will lead to more freedom in your life. He confessed and repented to somebody you trusted. And then number three, he accepted God's direction for his future. He moved on and he moved up and he continued 
to live his life. And it's so much so that actually in the New Testament, the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. Even after he had done all of those crazy, unlawful, perverted things, he accepted God's direction for his future. He said, I'm, I'm gonna still pursue God with all my heart. And guess what? That is something that God can do with us as well. No matter what we've experienced, no matter what's been done to us, no matter what we've encountered, God wants to save and redeem every single part of our history. Every single part. But maybe there's some of us in this room and we're talking about books and books being blotted out, but I don't want us to miss the fact that there is the book of life in heaven. And the good things that you do and the bad things that you do, they don't have any impact into this book. This, the only thing that is going to determine your salvation, whether you are let into heaven or whether you are forsaken into hell, the only thing that's gonna make that difference is how you respond to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And God is extending his hand of love to you tonight. And he's saying, will you accept this free gift of salvation that I have purchased for you? And some of us tonight in the room, maybe you have never accepted that gift. Maybe you grew up in this church. Maybe you grew up in church settings your entire life. But if you're honest with yourself, your faith has actually been maybe your parents. It's been your grandparents. You've never made a decision for yourself to say, no, this isn't about my parents or grandparents. This is me, my life, and I am choosing to follow Jesus. Maybe some of us in this room, we, we feel like we're living with like a mask. Like we, put, we come to church and we put on the good Christian mask and we say all the right things, blessed, hallelujah. We raise our hands and worship, but then we go and hang out with our friends and cuss up a storm and smoke and do all these, like we're living this two, half in, half out life. And that's not the life that's gonna lead you into freedom. It's not the life that is gonna lead you into the fullest life that God is intending for you to live. And I wonder if you'd be willing to accept God's forgiveness today, to say, I'm done half in, half out. I'm, I'm following Jesus. I'm making a decision for myself to follow Christ. So if that's you, I'm gonna invite you, everyone's eyes open, and I'm gonna invite you actually to stand up on the count of three. And I, I, the reason I'm doing this is not because I want to embarrass you or single you out in any way. <clears throat> the reason I'm doing this is twofold. One, it's because when Jesus paid for our sins on the cross, when he declared God lo God's love for the whole of humanity, he did it publicly. He didn't go into some secret room and then get up on the cross and die with nobody looking. He hung, out, he hung on a cross and was completely ashamed and embarrassed in order to bear our sins. And in doing so, he was screaming to all of us, I love you more than my own comfort. I love you more than humiliation from people. I love you more than even my own life. And I wonder if we would say the same thing to Jesus tonight. That's number one. Number two is because we at Access, we're family and we love Jesus. Jesus is the thing that draws us all together. And we have all come to this similar moment where we have to say, I'm done with my old life and I want to follow Jesus. And we want to celebrate with you. This is literally the best decision you could ever make in your entire life. And we wanna celebrate as a community and rally around you to help you follow Jesus for the long haul. All right, so on the count of three, I'm gonna invite you to stand. If you wanna respond and give Jesus 
your fullest life. One, two, three. Anybody want to stand? Yes, thank you. Come on. That's so good. Anybody else? Anybody else feel they need to stand? Anybody in the back? Come on, brother. That's so awesome. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Come on. Thank you, Lord. So good. So good. Amazing. Would everybody stand up and join our brother here? We're going to pray a prayer of salvation. The Bible says when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, when we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's exactly what we're going to do. So everyone repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying on the cross for all of my sins. I believe that you died and rose again, defeating sin, death, and the devil. And today... I give you all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Today, Jesus, you are my king. You are my Lord. You are my master. Holy Spirit, fill me up and help me to walk like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 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 amen.